0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We just finished our series in Ephesians and this letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. We again we said it was really a circular level uh, uh, letter. The the travel route was is probably the churches listed in. In Revelation 2 and 3, and we just finished that, and we spent 12 weeks there, and we walked through it section by section, right? And, and so we oftentimes do that, but then occasionally we have a series like we're going to start now. It's a two-week series. It's more on a, a topic. It's still teaching from the Bible. We will still always teach the Bible, I can assure you that, but, but this will just be a two-week series. And so this morning we're going to start with a game, and we're going to play What's Missing? Yeah, I thought there was gonna be more than that. I thought it was gonna be a bigger deal. So anyway. No, it's nope, nope. Nope, too late. Doesn't matter. Doesn't even matter. It's too late. It's too late. It feels it feels insincere, to be honest now. It feels insincere. It feels like you're patronizing me. And so anyway, we used to get these tear-off sheets when we were kids and we were at elementary school, and they'd have this, they show you this one tear-off sheet and they show you like four items. And then they tear it off, and here's the next sheet, and there's only three. What was missing? What was missing? you got to say it. So I'm going to give you a chance. Here's your first one. Ready? Here's this one. Okay, there's your objects. Everybody got it? Everybody got it? You see? Okay, get ready. What's missing? Oh, like really good, really good. So if you didn't catch it, here's the, yeah, there's the ice cream cone. Now you go to this one. It's gone. Okay, now we'll just add one. We'll just add one item. Okay, here's your next picture. You ready? Okay, got it. Yeah, there's no uros here. There's no us. There's not. You got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. What's missing? Oh, a little harder. Football. Football. So we'll add one more item. Here we go. Here's the next one. Okay, got it. Okay. Now we can't do that. But sometimes, sometimes just if you can imagine, like there's this picture like that. Because for some of us, I got to be honest. So I was like practicing, looking at the slides, and I did the first one. I was like, well, I don't know what's missing. Oh, it's the ice cream. But if we look at a picture like this, there's a part of us and we kind of go, man, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know this. I'm staring at the screen, and I, you know. And honestly, I think it's true in our lives. I think it's very true in our lives where sometimes in our, in our own lives we just go, what's What's missing? What's missing? Like like we ask the question of ourselves, like just what's missing? What's missing? I, I've got a good job. I've, I've, I've got, I I really like my spouse a lot. Like we, our kids are doing well. We, were, we we bought a house. I got a new car. Blah, blah, blah. What's missing? And we're going to talk about that this morning. And here's my contention as we get started. I think most of us in the culture today are missing it. You can be a longtime follower of Jesus. I always say this. You were going to church nine months before you were even born. And if you're really honest, as we get into this, you go, hmm. I might be missing that. Not everybody, not everybody, but I'm saying a great number of us. And you may be here this morning, you say, "Neil, I don't call myself a Christian, I don't call myself a follower of Christ, I just came to church, I just thought I'm curious, somebody invited me, it's the old free lunch trick, I just came with them anyway, right? But if you were honest, you'd say, there are times when I think it should be better, like, what's what's missing in my life i'm just not sure what that is and so we're going to look in that so i'm going to ask you to turn your bibles genesis chapter 1 right back at the beginning i'll remind you this if you don't have a bible and you'd like to have a bible you don't need to buy a bible we bought bibles They're on the tables, they're out in the lobby. You just need to remember, we buy English and Spanish, so you need to get the right Bible. And anytime you pull up a digital Bible, if it's on your phone, for instance, it'll ask you most often, which translation do you want? We always read from the New Living Translation. So if you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. And again, if you're newer around here, we don't up, down, up, down the whole morning. This is a symbolic reminder for us. That's what this is. It's not right or wrong. It just reminds us. This isn't just some book that was written. This is God now speaking to us. Genesis chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 26, and it says this. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So... God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And just the great privilege it is to be in your presence. Holy Spirit, We thank you that you are here with us, God, that we are in your presence to worship you. And that's our desire this morning is to worship you. So we worship you in music, God. We pray that you receive that with with, with great joy. We have worshipped you in the bringing of our tithes and our offerings, God. And we pray that you receive that with great joy. And now in the same way, we want to continue to worship you in the study of your word. And so in that, Father, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would teach us, would speak to us, would open our eyes, would give us understanding exactly according to where we're at in our life. Do that, we pray this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So you know this, that uh, all eras have their slang. All eras have had their slang. Depending on your age, you'd remember different, different slang terms. In the 1950s, I wasn't there, but in the 1950s, If you were a really cute girl, you were a dolly. If you were a really good-looking guy, you were a dreamboat. This is my favorite one. I've never heard this before. Maybe some of you can corroborate this. But phones, telephones, were getting to be a big deal, and they were in most homes at that time. Like, hey, people have phones in their homes. And so if you spent a lot of time talking with a friend on the phone, you were bashing ears on the horn. Anybody? (laughs) Never heard that before. So take that one home. Somebody asked you what you learned in church today. And then you got into the 1980s. And the 1980s was, I graduated high school in the early 80s, and so that was kind of my era, and I remember this. Everybody say sweet? Oh yeah, we said sweet about everything. Didn't matter. Hey, I got a D in that class. Sweet. We said sweet about everything. Uh, This was the first time, uh, I remember uh, being in, uh, I was over in France for about six weeks, uh, about a year after I graduated college, and I was over there, and I'm talking to some girl in Paris, and she's like, we don't understand why Michael Jackson brags about being bad at everything. Like, bad was a word then, and bad meant good. You know, it's just, that was one of those slang terms. And we had all kinds of, you know, we, uh, this came out of the 80s. Psych! If you fooled somebody, psych! Like, that came out of the 80s. Like, it was great to be in the 80s, you know? And this era has its own slang terms also as well. And it's not as big of a change. Uh, I, I just heard one the other day, and this was like, I actually thought it was funny. Somebody said, I said, uh, I was questioning something, and somebody goes, Okay, boomer. It means like, old man, these are new days. Relax a little bit, you know? And I was like, okay, boomer. That's kind of funny, actually. I kind of liked it, you know? And then uh, here's another slang term. So, so we joke about it now because we're at that age now. Kimmy and I were just saying about the slang terms. We're at that age now where it might be an insult to say to someone, hey, I think you're about our age. Like, we don't say that anymore. It's, that's becoming an insult, right? Uh, but here's another one. I would always say, like people always say, how you doing? How you doing? Fine. Fine. How you doing? Fine. Everything was just fine. 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 Not today. Today is, how you doing? It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. good." We just say that about everything. It's all good. That's the saying that we use today. And it doesn't matter. But I want you to know this. That's not a new saying. That's an old saying. That's a very old saying. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God is in the business of creating everything. He creates and he creates and he creates and he creates. He creates the heavens and the earth and, and he separates the land from the sea and the, the, the light to, to light the daytime and the light to light the, the nighttime, the sun and the moon, and he's doing all those things. And then he even creates man. You Remember this? And he says, oh, he didn't say about man that was good. right?" Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was Very good. This is God's five-star rating on the internet. He looks at man and he goes, oh, it's all good. It's really good. And then something really interesting happened. We see the context now begins to change. Because now it says that the Lord God placed the man. This is Genesis chapter 2. He placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. And man's context changes just slightly. And God has to reassess this. Now watch what he says now. Then the Lord God said, oh, it's not good. For the first time, for the first time, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's all good. And for the first time now, God says, oh, it's not good. And he says, it's not good because man is alone. John Orberg, Pastor John Orberg writes about this, and I think this is very interesting. He says, just to think about this context just a bit, he says, think about this. The human being here is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He's known and loved to the very core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. And yet, the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God said that this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, when people feel lonely, we tell them things like, don't expect too much from human relationships. That there's inside every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill, and that is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. And I find that language very interesting to think about this. Yes, there's a God-shaped void that nothing else can fill, but there is a human-shaped void in every single one of us that God has specifically chosen Not to fill a void that can only be filled by others. Now, that takes us to our passage that we read this morning, and I want you to see this. Then God said, We read this earlier, let us make man in, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and therefore. God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them, in Latin we say imago Dei, the very image of God, and the question becomes, what does it really mean to be made in the image of God? We've always said, oh, we're we're image bearers of God, we're made in the image of God, and what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Number one, we are intellectual beings. We, are, we have an intellect. God has an intellect. He is a thinker. We are thinkers. We're in, we have an intellectual being. It also means God has a will. We always hear about the will of God. We have a will. Human beings have a will. You and I are creatures of free will. We have a will. In that we we are like God. God is a spirit being. You and I have a spirit. We are spiritual beings. But there's one more way, probably a number of other ways, that I I want to talk about. That we are like God. And I think this is really important in our discussion this morning. And I want to go back one verse and have you see it this time a little differently. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Notice that all the pronouns are plural. Which is really weird because here it is, God speaking. Yeah, God said, let us. Who's he talking to? The Godhead. It is one of the core beliefs of Christianity that our God is a triune God. Not a God with three different personalities. Three persons. God the Father is a distinct person. God the Son is a distinct person. God the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. And yet they are all one. Ask me to explain it. Can't do it. Don't have any idea. Don't fully understand. Anybody who says, oh, I totally get that. I can completely understand it to you. There's just no way. But we do know that God, our God, is one God in three persons. And so think of this now. Here is the Godhead, the three distinct persons living in perfect. Harmony in full and, and just flourishing community. That God is a communal God, and God made us in His image. Now watch how the Godhead has fellowship. First, we see this in John's Gospel. Thank you. I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. In the Godhead, there is perfect community and there is great love. And that's one thing of the Godhead's community, but it's what real community brings to us. It's what we can experience when we're in real community. Real community means that there's real love. Right? Jesus goes down to the Jordan River and he's going to get baptized. and He's put into the water by John the Baptist. We read this. Some of you will know this story. And Jesus starts to come up out of the water. And it says a dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down. Now you have two of the persons of the Trinity. You have Jesus coming out of the water. You have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down. And all of a sudden we read from the scriptures this. A voice from heaven then says, This is my loved son who brings me great joy. It's the voice of the Father. We have all three parts of the Trinity here. Jesus coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And God the Father. And the voice specifically said this. This is my loved son. Some of you will remember translations. This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Now just think about this. You're somewhere and there's a big crowd. I mean it's loud. It's noisy. And all of a sudden, shh. And there's just this hush that comes over the crowd. And this booming voice comes down and it says, and it's one of your parents. And it says, that's my son, that's my daughter, who I love like crazy. And I just want you all to know, they bring me great joy. Like in front of the crowd, how, how encouraged would you be? Right. One of the things that the Godhead does in community is, is the Godhead is encouraging one another here. And real community does that for us as well. There's another episode where Jesus takes his three, I don't know if everybody's aware of this, there were 12 disciples, but Jesus clearly had the three, his three favorite, Peter, James, and John. And most theologians say, even amongst those three, John. John was his closest friend. John was his closest disciple. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes up to the mountaintop alone, just for the three of them to be alone, right? And all of a sudden, they start, they're looking at Jesus, and he starts to, kind of, his appearance, they feel like, kind of changes, he almost starts to have this, this glow about him, and his, ch- his clothes start to change. Now, Peter, because I, I so identify with Peter. Peter just feels awkward or something, so he just starts blurting stuff out. Anybody? Just me. Okay, good. And so Peter just starts blurting out, right? And all of a sudden we read this. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. This is God saying, Peter, stop yapping. My son Jesus is talking right now. Listen to him. Like, this is the Trinity and and how they behave in community that's saying, hey, I'm supporting him. I'm deferring to him. Everybody listen to him. That's what community does. We support each other and build each other up and defer to one another and and elevate one another, right? Then we see this. John's Gospel, Jesus speaking, says, I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Even the Godhead in community submits to one another. Hey, I'm not here by myself. It's all about God, and I submit to his will. The Godhead submits to each other. So what we see from the Godhead in community is this. The community loves each other. The Godhead was loving one another. community encourages. The Godhead was encouraging one another. The Godhead was supporting one another. The Godhead submits to one another. Now stop and think about this. That is the Godhead in community demonstrating perfect community. You and I were created in the image of God. It means a lot of different things. But one of the things it means is we are necessarily communal. right? I want you to walk home and remember this. You were a creative community. It's the way you were designed. It's the way you were made. You want to know what's missing sometimes when a lot of us just go, I got a good job. I'm dating somebody that's awesome. School's going Well, The kids are doing well. I can't put my finger. What's missing? Part of the problem is we don't live in community. We live around a lot of people, but we don't live with people. And so for that need, I want you to know this. You need people in your life. This This is not a luxury like, if I have a little extra time, I'll make some time for some folks. Maybe we'll get together. Maybe we'll talk about some. No, it's not one of those things. This is a necessity. And I want to say this a little different way because of the way we live today. Not only do you need people in your life, you need people in your life. You need people in your life. You need people who can speak into your life. We're experiencing all kinds of things because we're not behaving within the context of how we were designed, with how God made us. The first thing we got to do is have a recognition, a realization. You were actually designed to live in community. And then we got to do something about it. Look at the statistics are staggering. 50% of all Americans in today sometimes are always feeling alone. That's half of Americans. Man, there's sometimes, a lot of times, it's all the time. I feel alone. At the same time, almost half of Americans say that the relationships they actually do have are not meaningful. They're not meaningful relationships. Oh, I got relationships. They don't mean a thing. Right? Further, only half of Americans say they have daily, meaningful, in-person, social interaction. And as a result of all of that, the new Cygnus study says this. That, that, that Gen Z, which is, think about this, Gen Z about 18 and 24, they're the generation of social media where we're supposed to be more connected than ever, right? It has now been determined that they are the loneliest generation. In an age when we have social media, where we're supposed to be crazy, ridiculous connected. What is this telling us? And so there is a term now that sociologists use, and it's called Isolationitis that we've never lived in an era where we're supposed to be so connected, that we live around so many people, that we live in the midst of so many people, and we're suffering all the symptoms of isolation-itis. Let me give them to you. First of all, they talk about the fact that we've lost perspective. We don't have very good perspective. I'll tell you why. I, I had a buddy that called me just yesterday, and he's going through a really rough patch in life. And so we just talked for a while. I just listened, and he told me about what, how it's... You know, kind of some twists and some turns in there, and what's going on. And I said, "Look, I, I'm not telling you the answers. I don't know the answers. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying this is what I'm hearing. I, this is what I see. Do you not see this?" And he just stopped. There was silence. Like, that's totally what's going on. That's totally. He goes, "I didn't see that at all." And I said, "Brother, if I was in your spot, I wouldn't see it either. Because you know how we just get in those pinches in life sometimes, where you just in, you can't see the forest through the trees because of the situation you're in. There's no possible way that you could see it." And you just need an outside perspective that says, hey, uh, this is what I'm seeing, right? That only happens if you're in relationships, you're in real community, where you can actually talk about some of these things. Most of us don't have those kinds of relationships where we could really say those kinds of things. They talk about the fact that when we're in isolation, we're spiritually vulnerable. You know this, man, if you're my age, and you grew up watching The Wild Kingdom, it's almost the same thing. Every week, here comes this big pack of, of antelope, Pretty soon the lions get one of them just separated off and they just pounce. They're just trying to get us separated from the herd. What do you think the enemy does? Tries to get you to come up with all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses, why you can't have intentional relationships. You get separated from the herd and then you're real easy to pounce on. We are spiritually vulnerable. talks about the fact that there's a fear of intimacy there's this fear of well right. Of course we have a fear of intimacy, because we're not ever in relationships where we have to reveal ourselves or make ourselves vulnerable or, or reveal anything significant to anyone. Now think about this for a minute. Average age of marriage today is later than it's ever been. Average age, first time marriage, is about twenty seven, just slightly over twenty seven. Okay, you're now 27 years old, so let's just say you, you lived at home, even if you left home at 18, even if you were at home for those 18 years, you know, you leave home now, and now you've been living at home, on your own for almost 10 years, and you don't really have intentional relationships where you ever have to be vulnerable or reveal anything, and now you get married. Boom, you're just supposed to instantly know how to be vulnerable. You're supposed to know how to have just, just intimate relationships. Of course not. This fear of intimacy develops. Talks about the fact that there's greater tendency for selfishness. Do we all have that one figured out? If you live, like every toy is yours. If you don't, if you're never around anybody, every toy is yours. They all belong to you. You never have to share, right? There's greater emotional instability. Why? Because one of the things that we do when we're in real relationships is we stabilize each other. We build each other up. We encourage each other and we stabilize each other emotionally. And there's actually poorer health. You, did you know this? Single people, if you're, if you're single, like this is, your, this is your take home for today. Single people who own dogs tend to live on average six years longer. I hope I contribute more than six years to my wife. I just hope that I'm worth more than six years. <laughs> I'm just saying, single people who have dogs live six years longer on average. What does that tell you? We need some form of, commu- of community, of, of relationship, of companionship. It's just so obvious, right? And so, then you look at that. Now, now, just put all these pieces together. Think about all the cultural change. Do you know that they say that change, the rate of change today, it's not, we always talk about change as the constant the problem isn't change. The problem today has become the rate of change. What used to take 20 years, they say, what used to take 20 years, right, for, for this amount of change to happen, today takes three to five. Three to five. And so if you're my age, just think about all the changes you see. Look at the cultural changes that we have today. We eat out more than ever. Americans eat out more than ever. You know what's great about eating out? It's fast, it's accessible, it's quick. You know what's bad about eating out? It's fast, it's quick, it right? Our life group met the other night. We haven't met together for, it's been a while because we had kind of had the summer off and we, we had been, you know, we had COVID and we were doing Zoom and we met last night. And by the way, life groups, this is our great tip to you. Like my wife can bake up a storm. Like she's just magic in the kitchen when it comes to baking. She doesn't love to cook. So when we do this. We just tell everybody, bring your own, bring your favorite carry out, get your own food, bring it over. And then we all sit at the table and we share a meal, right? They left And I remember you looked at me and you're just like, that was awesome. I mean, it's just different. We sat around a table and we shared food and we had conversation. It was life giving, wasn't it? I mean, it's not like we have this magic formula for our life group. The magic formula is we got some food, we sat down, and we spent time with folks. We eat out today, we eat quicker and quicker and quicker. Get and go, let's get and go right? We work from home today. A lot of folks, a lot of you are working from home. That's not necessarily bad. The problem is sociologists have written so much in the last year about the valuable, this is interesting to me, the valuable interaction that takes place just in the hallways at work. The conversations and the social interaction that just happens at the water cooler, right? Right? There's online education, online groups. Again, it's great, go to school in your underwear, fantastic. Otherwise, it's fairly inappropriate, you know, but here at home, hey, that's great, you know, right? But you you tell me, like, some of you guys are North Central students, you've been back in class. Was it good? Yeah, it's awesome, right? Right? The challenge is they talk about this, that you don't have the the interaction, like, uh, teacher to pupil. You don't have the, the interaction pupil to pupil. Now they're talking about how it's been harmful to teachers because they don't have interaction teacher to teacher. There's, there's not the interaction. Smartphones and technology. We've all done this, so, right, we're all on the same page, but you've all seen pictures or you've seen video and you've laughed at other folks when you've seen it, and we've all done it. You've got three or four friends and you're all sitting around and it's just a great time to spend together and everybody's staring at their screen. We've all done it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you? We've done it at the house. We've done it at the house. And I'm a joy to be around, and we've done it at the house. <laughs> right? And we're like, we're both looking at like we do this. I mean, that's a cultural change. Right? And then the last one, social media. You know what's great about social media? It's the ability to know people and to be known. Do you know what the tragedy is of social media? You actually think that you know people and you are known. And that is the great lie. That is the great lie. I, I don't go, anybody who's ever friend requested me on social media, that was six seconds you will never get back to send that friend request. I don't post anything. I just don't even go on there. So just in preparation for this, I thought, how many friends do I have on, on Facebook, right? So I go to Facebook, I have like 2,500 friends. Like, we, we, we tell ourselves things like, well, I, I just go on. Do you, do you know the average adult? The average, so don't... Everybody says, oh, that's not me. And I'm like, yeah, no one's average, everybody. The average adult spends two hours a day. That's average. And I don't believe anybody sits there for two hours. It's 10 minutes here. It's 20 minutes here. It's 15. It's just, it's just, and we we, we tell ourselves this all the time. I just go on there because I want to wish my friends a happy birthday. That's why I go on there. And I'm like, like a dude that I went to high school with and have not seen now for 30 years, when that dude wishes me happy birthday on Facebook, I'm like, (laughs) like that touches me. That dude doesn't know me. We haven't seen each other for 30 years. It's not that meaningful, right? And so there have also been a lot of cultural changes. This isolationitis, man, you want to know what's missing. My life seems good. It should be. Part of what's missing, a big part of it is, we don't have these intentional, and I'll stress this word, intentional relationships. Because if you're going to have these relationships today, it will absolutely take work. This is intentional. We didn't just say to our life group, hey, if anybody ever feels like, you know, we were sending out emails and trying to find the right time to be like, that that stuff's intentional. And so what I want to focus on and really talk about is real community. What is real community like? I mean, real community, I mean, meaningful, it's intentional. You, you, you're you vulnerable and you talk to other people about what's going on in your life and you listen and, and, and you, you support and you encourage them. I mean, meaningful relationships. I think it's really interesting. We talked about this a few weeks ago, all the benefits of real community, of just real meaningful relationships. This isn't even biblical community, Christian community, just all the benefits. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago. You have actual better physical health long research study. They, they used a study of over 600,000 people. You have better physical health, you live longer lives, it decreases your stress, you heal quicker, you experience less physical pain. You remember we talked about with that thermal heat? It's crazy if you didn't see it. Uh, better physical form and fitness, there's practical help for life, there's emotional support, you have a higher sense of self-esteem, lower anxiety and depression, greater sense of purpose and meaning, improved, actually better communication skills, more productive lives, and you're more willing to try new things. That, that's just some relationships in general. Let me talk to you about biblical community, the way that it is created to be, to be for, for followers of Jesus. These are all the benefits that come along with true biblical community. Think about this. Hebrews 3 says that we encourage each other in our battles against sin. Nobody in here battles with sin, so this is a waste. Right, we all, we all have struggles, every one of us, me included right? We, we, we get encouragement for that. Uh, Galatians 6 says that we pick each other up when we fall. Anybody ever fallen? Hebrews 10 says that we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Isn't that part of what we want to do? It also, that same passage talks about how we challenge each other to be more like Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Right? Acts chapter 2 says the community ministers to each other and meets practical needs. And I'm just going to tell you this. We're not the mega mega church, but we're a large enough church where that means something. We're not a church of 100 where I just know everybody's issue and their problem and hey, we'll come and help you with that. There's no possible way. Real community does that. We meet each other's needs. Galatians 6 says that we carry each other emotionally. First Thessalonians says that we open our eyes to the needs of others. Sometimes I wouldn't know about things, but their community points it out. Proverbs 27 says it empowers our relationship with God. Proverbs 17 says that it meets our inherent need for love, to be loved. James chapter 5 says this Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. I think that's really interesting. You're in relationships with other people where you can talk about a sin that you've been struggling and it says, so that you may be healed. Now, I believe that some of that healing is emotional and spiritual healing. I believe that some of that healing that takes place can be physical healing because of the emotional stress that takes off of us. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the fact that community teaches us to work through conflict. If you don't have relationships, you never have to work through conflict. You just walk away from folks. You don't have to resolve anything. And First Peter four says that community gives you a chance to forgive. If all you ever do is social media, if that's your friend network, you don't have to forgive folks. You just unfriend. That's all you got to do. And so I want us to take a look at how we're created, what were we created for, and when we when we wonder, man, what's missing in my life? What it just I, I I'm not sure I can put my finger like something's not I I, I don't I just don't right. Remember what, our, remember what our passage said? Then God said, let us, the communal Godhead, make human beings in our a communal Godhead image to be like us. And so God did. He did create us in his own image. We are created to be communal. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so again, I I don't think this is rocket science. I think we need to know this: that real community meets the needs of our design. It's how we're made. This is not rocket. Now you can be like like Kim and I. We're both we're both uh, we're both introverts. Like I'm the obnoxious. Introvert. It's kind of a weird combination. but And so, to be honest, we love our downtime. We love our alone time. But we know we have to make time because of the way we were designed and created. And so, absolutely, we're part of an intentional group that says we are building relationships. We speak into each other's lives. We check and we talk about how's this going, how's that going, and we talk about it. So I'm going to give you the big so what. It's not rocket science, but the big so what today is this. Creative for community. Just remember that. Creative for community. Made for community. Designed for community now I want everybody to take your hands and do this we'll do hand motions for just a second do do like this now I want you to say this I was I was created for community now point it's not always impolite to point stick your finger out like this okay point to somebody next to you this is you were you ready you were created for community now put your hands out like this this is we are you ready we are created for community. First service, we have ASL. Everybody do this. This means community in ASL, American Sign Language. In Spanish, comunidad. Say, comunidad. It doesn't matter how you say man. We're created for community. When you sit and you wonder, like, I just can't put my finger on it. Just can't. Something not right. What's around you? Are you intentional? Do you just bump into people at school? Do you just bump into people at work when you don't have meaningful relationships? Have you not been intentional? It will not happen today. Not in the pace of our culture. And we live in Minnesota. We don't even live in New York City. Right? But in the pace of our culture here, we're so busy. We're so busy. We're so busy. We go a million miles an hour all day long running by people, never doing life with people. We don't. You want to hear what's really interesting? How many, raise your hand if you got a goldfish when you're a kid growing up. Maybe you still got a goldfish. Did you know this? That the average goldfish, the average goldfish in a bowl, these fish will get to be about roughly two and a half, two and a half, maybe three inches. They'll reach about four ounces. Most of them, the overwhelming majority, never live to a year, right? On the high end, fish in a bowl, two to three years. That's on the high end. Now, you want to see what's crazy about this? You ever seen goldfish in the wild? That's goldfish in the wild. Here's a better one. I like this. Look at this goldfish in the wild. They can get well over five pounds. Five pounds is a big fish. If you're a fisherman, you know that. Big fish. They can get well over five pounds, they can exceed 16 inches. They don't live less than a year. They don't live on a max two to three years. They can live up to 16 years with the longest ever recorded at 43 years. Like, raise your hand if you had a goldfish. Keep it up if you're you're the same person that flushed it. Yeah, (laughs) it happens all the time. They went to goldfish heaven, mommy and daddy. That's what they told you, right? You ever stop and think about this? Why is it that a goldfish living in a bowl only reaches about four ounces, maybe two and a half inches, might live to a year, why is that? And the answer is really simple, it's not what they were designed for, it's not what they were designed for, it's not what they were created for, you sit there sometimes and you go, I just can't put my finger, like something's not right, I'm like, dude you're living in a bowl, you ain't meant to be in a bowl. You're meant to be in community. You're meant to be in relationship. You're meant to speak into lives and have lives speak into you. You're meant to encourage people and have people encourage you. You're meant to build folks up and have folks build you up. You're meant to have some accountability with some other folks. That's our actual design. I think what's missing for a lot of us is just intentional, intentional community. So I'll give you a big now what. I think there's a lot of things we could do about a big now what this week. I think I think one of them is just to assess, am I doing anything? Am I doing anything intentional? Or am I just bumping into folks? But I'll give you a big now what just so we have something. I would say this: be sure to be here next week. Be here next week. We're gonna do house party and we're gonna get into this deeper. And it's all going to be geared to helping you with this. It's one of the biggest hindrances to our spiritual lives. Believe it or not, it's this practical that we are not living in intentional relationships. And so be here next week. I know it's, a, it's an hour or two, a couple hours earlier for you guys. I know, I get that. I would be here for it. I'd bring somebody to church, always bring someone to church, always be inviting, always being bringing people to church. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, so, so, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We love you. We love our Heavenly Father. We say we're blessed to be your children. I thank you for the word that you've spoken to us this morning through your word, through your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would burden our hearts for intentional relationships. I mean meaningful, intentional relationships. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you just staple that to our hearts and that we're uncomfortable. If we know that we're not in those kinds of relationships, Holy Spirit, make us uncomfortable. That's my prayer.